Welcome to the Angus Conversation. I'm your host, Miranda Ryman. I've got my co-host, Mark McCulley here. Hey, Mark. Hi, Miranda. We had a great episode. We really did. It got me thinking about uh, growing up in a farming community where I lived just down the road from my grandparents. I could ride my bike to their farm and we'd spend a lot of time. I mean, we farmed together, so I spent a lot of time with my with my grandparents. And this episode just really kind of brought that home, what it's like to be in a farming community, to be raised alongside your your grandparents, working along with them, etc. I don't know. I just really loved that. Did you grow up next to your grandparents? Mark, um, just so just barely. I mean, I, I my my grandfather passed away when I was pretty young, and then my my grandmother too. And so we uh, not not as much. I was kind of on the tail end of our family, and so I, I missed that. I, that would have been that would have been such a neat opportunity, and it was fun to see. So our guest today was was Phil Trowbridge, and uh, someone that a lot of folks in the Angus community know, of course, from the from New York, and and uh, you know I always tease Phil. He's, he's He'll 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 first hit you as kind of a big gruff character, and then he's got probably as big a heart and as teddy bear of demeanor as as any anybody you're around, especially when you get to talking about his grandkids. And uh, uh, I think this episode was a lot about family and and the importance of family and and how their family uh, operates a registered Angus uh, successful registered Angus outfit in uh, in New York, where a little different country than than some of our listeners. I think that part was really interesting to me because we talked actually in the the board meetings this last week. I remember one of the regional managers, Raydell, down there in Texas, saying that one of the things that keeps him up at night or worries him is the urban sprawl and down there in, in the areas, Dallas, Fort Worth, et cetera. But gosh, Phil is right in the middle of that and has lived it his whole career. It's not new for right. him. Right, as ninety miles from New York City, but as as he points out and talks about in the podcast, maybe some opportunities there, and, and maybe he has a little different a little different twist as he thinks about uh, what he and and his son PJ and their next generations are are going to potentially look like uh, uh, some opportunities that may that they may have coming their way that uh, might surprise listeners. That that's absolutely right. That oftentimes I think of urban sprawl as being a, a negative. You know, I'm just crushed that farmland is being turned into housing developments. And especially those of us who've seen it happen, maybe a favorite pasture that you've rented is is now a housing development or a dollar general in a lot of our small yeah. towns. I think of it as being a negative, but you're right that Phil talked about the way that they've made it work and have made it work all along. So I think people are really going to enjoy this episode. I know that I enjoyed recording it. Well, we're excited to have some guests on the podcast that I think will be familiar names to many, Phil and Annie Trowbridge at Trowbridge Angus Farm at Get New York. Um, I'll just give a brief background and then we know you're a fabulous storyteller, Phil, so I'm sure you can fill in all of the details, but worked for another Angus outfit early on before you started your guys' own operation there. Um, you were president of the American Angus Association in 2012-2013. Um, your wife, Annie, is a nurse, and you've raised two children there on the farm. So I'll let you introduce maybe yourself and your operation and who else is around the table today. Okay. So we, uh, I'm Phil Trowbridge, was, um, our families had Angus cattle for uh, since 1955. So we're, we're crowding pretty good on a historical part. Um, we started out uh 
I have a large family. I have uh, four brothers and four sisters, so nine of us, and we're all raised on a small family farm um, that we've had Angus cattle, like I said, before I was born. Um, so that's been uh, good. And I, as you alluded to, um, when I, I graduated from college on May 25th, 1976, and started working um, on a registered Angus farm, Gallagher's farm, Gallagher's Angus, um, the, the Sunday after I graduated. Um, so I moved 300 miles across the state um, to where we are now. And uh, we've, we started our own Angus operation actually in the 1977 when Annie and I got married. Um, that was that was the year we got married, and um, we uh, we bought our first cow in Western Canada, and that about broke us. We were uh, it was the six hundred. <laughs> was there cow. a honeymoon? Did the honeymoon involve a cow sale? Do I remember that story or something like that? Mark, I haven't had a honeymoon yet, so I was just <laughs> you, you just kept that to yourself. <laughs> Actually, when we got married, um, we uh, our first night of wedding bliss, we stayed right near um, Annie's hometown. And the second night, um, we drove to Summitville, Ohio. And uh, we were, I just thought we would get a hotel room. Well, in 1977, there was no hotels in Summitville, Ohio. And uh, so we, we we were very friendly with Doug and Gracie Slattery, and they had just moved to Summit Crest. Well, so I called them and they said, hey, you know, you're welcome to stay here, but we don't have a bed. You can sleep on the floor if you want. So this is our second night of wedding bliss. Uh, <laughs> my bride and I slept on a sleeping bag on a hardwood floor in Doug and Gracie Slattery's house. So that was uh, that was now, our second. Now there with you right now, right? Yes, yes, she is. <laughs> and this how is many all... years has it been? <laughs> um, Forty-six, and yes, all he's telling you is true. Yeah. So. And, I, and so, I, so he now has put this on public record. So Annie, he officially owes you a honeymoon. Okay. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah, for a long time that's been coming. Yeah, so. Thank goodness she was really understanding because I told her Summit Crest was only about two hours away and, and it was just a little over 300 miles. So <laughs> it was closer to five and a half hours. Um, and we got there kind of in dark. But anyways, so the next morning we get up, I've got to come back to start breeding cows. And on our way back, um, we stop in Phelps, New York to visit. Mark Richardson and Greg Kruger, two friends of ours that were running Sarah Farms at that point. And um, that was when Annie and I discovered Sarah Patriot, who went on to be a bull that we purchased and two-time national champion bull and very, very successful breeding bull. So my wife in a short 72 hours um, became an Angus enthusiast, whether she liked it or not. So <laughs> that was that was part of it. But that was, our honeymoon was that 72 hours, by the way. Uh, which I thought it was awesome. But when you're 20 years old, you just think, all I could think about was Angus cattle, honestly. And that is not a joke. That's all 
all I wanted to do. And uh, I was fortunate that I had a partner that tolerated me to do that. So, yeah. Now, Phil, were you with Gallagher's at that time? I was. Okay. I was. Yeah. So you went straight from school to Gallagher's. Yeah, I graduated on Saturday and started started working at Gallagher's on Sunday. Wow. Um, and I was there from 1976 to 2005. Wow. So, um, so talk about, I mean, you know, some people, maybe listeners may not know. I mean, it, I'll remember the first time I met you and you may, you may not know this, or I maybe have told this before. I was, I was a grad student at Michigan state and it was either Dr. Hawkins or Dr. Ritchie called me and said, Hey, um, can you, you got to go to, to the Dutchess County fair in New York to judge county, to judge Yankee <laughs> show at the County fair. And I, I said, remember. I said, really, I'm going to go to New York to judge a county fair. But, I, you know, I didn't question those guys. So I took off. That used to be and you were showing at that point in time. Absolutely. Um, that was like that was the deal, wasn't it? I'll, that, that was well, a hot bit. Dutchess, Dutchess County Fair for quite a few years in a row. Um, the champion bull at the Dutchess County Fair would win Chicago. Yeah. I wow. mean, that's Ankeny at that point there. Their main foothold was right there in Rhinebeck, where the Dutchess County Fair is. And um, in our barn, um, we have the big four by 10 pictures of the best 10 head from Ankeny, um, the three years in a row that they wanted in Chicago. But those, they also had those same 10 at the Dutchess County Fair, which is where you would have judged, Mark. And I do remember you there. And the reason I remember, and I'm not... I'm sure I did a great job. I'm sure that's why you <laughs> well, remember. I'll tell you what. I honestly can't tell you what kind of a job you did. We did have Champion Heifer. I do remember that. <laughs> and that was in a backyard. Oh, well, you could have... I fitted those cattle under a shade tree, honestly, with Kevin O'Brien. We didn't have a barn then. But honestly, the, the reason I really remembered you, and, and I'm giving you a little attaboy here. <laughs> um, Arlen Ritchie told me you were the smartest student he had ever had. Wow. Seriously. And he was no joke. He told me that guy is going to be a factor. Hmm. So, and, you know, Hawkins and Ritchie were both, uh, they both admired you greatly. And so we we're very fortunate as the Angus Association to have you in that seat. Um, like I said, I'm blowing a little smoke up your skirt right now. <laughs> you, you are. So, I, we, yeah. we better Those edit are... this out so he doesn't play this on repeat. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm actually in my home office right now. If I could pan the camera up, that's up behind my that that's a picture up there of of the saddle and sirloin portrait of uh, uh -oh. Dave Hawkins, Harlan Ritchie, uh, Ron Nelson, and Maynard Hoberg. So I got. Really? Uh, the, the, those all four of those guys I got to work with when I was up at Michigan State, and they're uh, wonderful men, and I count myself blessed for that. Yeah, I I, um, I also had some very fond memories of you not being a very good basketball player in Bowling Green, Kentucky. So um, <laughs> there was a there was a few sharp elbows in that Quonset hut I can remember. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, but. So so when in this history did the kids arrive? Kind of bring us from that point to present. Well, we we got married in 77. 
and uh, PJ was born in 1980. Actually, he was 33 years old or 43 years old two days ago on the 6th okay. uh, or on the 4th. I'm sorry, on the 4th. Thank God Annie's still here. So, <laughs> um, but uh, and then Amy was born in 1982. Um, two years later, and her birthday's tomorrow. So uh, my wife was a very good planner, as you can tell. We we wanted to have kids beginning of September. Guess what? Two kids beginning nope. of September, <laughs> two years apart. So, um, but yeah. She so, knows how to use a gestation calendar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but no, I think that, uh, so that started our family and, um you know it was initially it was uh a little different for us because we lived in a part of the state where we had no family and me being from a big family um you know i, I kind of missed them you know you uh you you sort of liked having grandma and grandpa around um and um speaking of that i'm just going to tell you a story about our son um, he and my dad got along extremely well. They were just, and if PJ would drive within, I'm going to tell you, if he drove within 50 or 75 miles of our home farm, he always went and saw my dad, you know, and that was, um, it was a big deal that uh, he did that. So, sorry about that. Um, so, that that speaks volumes to what our family does. Um, that's kind of the way it is. Um, yeah. Oh, PJ, PJ's not back yet. Okay. Here's the third generation sitting at the table. This is Daisy, our granddaughter with her pain in the butt dog. Um, but uh, Daisy, um, Daisy has been extremely helpful for us on the farm. She uh, she just um, completed uh, the New York State Fair where she had the champion ball. Um, congratulations. Congra yeah, congratulations. And then she had um, the champion steer at our county fair and her younger sister, Lily, had the champion heifer. And um, she her champion steer brought just a little over 10,000 at our county fair, which was very wow. impressive. Um, wow. So we're we're really proud of her, and and she also had the champion lamb. Um, so and we we're, bred ourselves. Yeah, they're and these are all homebred stuff, so it's kind of fun. That's uh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations, Daisy. I can tell by uh, uh, by social media because of what your dad puts out on Facebook. You've been working around the cows for a long time, and uh, <laughs> pretty passionate about it. And I know I know your grandpa is very very proud of you. Yeah, and. Um, also, she is um, leaving to go to Oklahoma to Fort Sill in about three weeks. She is um, enlisted in the Army Reserve. So she goes to boot camp in Oklahoma in about three weeks. So um, wow. impressive yeah. more ways than one. But... Yeah, she wants to uh, she wants to be a nurse. So she's hoping that she can following her grandma and great grandma's footsteps and her knee and her aunt so 
PJ and Miranda have four daughters. So we have five estrogen makers in one house. <laughs> isn't a challenge for me. It's actually kind of fun for me, but I'm not sure we'd have to talk to PJ about the rest of it. Um, but, they, you know, the, the, the kids are, and there are other two daughters, the next two after Daisy, um, both decided this year they were going to show jerseys and Rosie's seven and Lily's nine. And um, they both won their class in the Jersey show, in the open show, showing, and and we have a big dairy county. So it was like, it's not like there wasn't much competition. Um, and uh, that was, that was kind of fun. And Lily actually, first time she ever showed a dairy, won her division in her showmanship class. So that was kind of fun also. And then she went on to have the champion Jersey heifer for both open and 4-H. So it was kind of a big deal. Um, so do you leave anything for anybody else or do you guys also like sweep the cat show and the... Well, this, the, 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 thank, thank God they don't take goats anymore because <laughs> they did that one year and Daisy had the champion goat the champion lamb, the champion hog, the champion steer, and the champion heifer. And the champion rabbit. Oh, yeah. And the champion rabbit and the champion chicken. Yeah, you're really <laughs> popular. Was, at yeah, the that end was of that. kind oh, of yeah. a joke, <laughs> but it's the truth. <laughs> yeah, That's the how you Trowbridge, make friends right there. Yeah, Trowbridge family is really popular. I mean, uh, yeah. Thank God I have smart grandkids because I never could figure out how to do that. But, <laughs> um, anyways, uh, so it's, it's, um, that, that's, pretty awesome um that and the kids like yesterday we had to do a bunch of herd work getting ready for the sale and daisy and her boyfriend were very helpful because pj had to go do something else and we worked 60 70 head of cattle and no problems and you know it's it's nice having um daisy and i work cattle together extremely well neither one of us say much we don't raise our voice but we know exactly where the other one's going to be and what's going to happen. So um, works works really well. Hey, Phil, back go back to Gallagher's for a second, because I think one of the unique things, Gallagher and the, the family owned a steakhouse, um, correct? correct? And yep. so I know you had quite a bit of involvement uh, in just, you know, that that operation. And I, I guess I'm always I'm always curious, did that change the way you bred Angus cattle when you started working around a steakhouse? Well. You know, at the time, there had been a previous Gallagher's. So there was a bull that they called Flying Willie that we had it pictured in the steakhouse in New York City. And it was the previous, it was Jack Solomon owned him from, flew the bull from Rhinebeck or from, you know, uh, that area, Red Hook, actually, to Chicago because he was supposed to win the show in Chicago. Well, he got waxed in Chicago. So, but they did nickname him Flying Willie. And that picture was in a steakhouse on 52nd Broadway. And, you know, certified Angus beef actually was something that Mr. Brody was extremely interested in when that started, because it was just in an infancy at that point. And um, so it, it influenced us some, after a fashion initially you know see we won we won denver 
female in 1976, 1977. Then we won it with the bull in 78 and 79. And then RJ Mamie, we won uh, like in 80, I think it was. Um, so we have been pretty successful in the show ring. Uh, but honestly, Mr. Brody and I both kind of decided that um, that was when we kind of changed course, Mark, and uh, got into what we thought were cattle that you know, we're, we're beneficial to today's markets. And um, in the early 80s was when Annie and I, actually, we bought Mr. Brody out in 1982, and we ran it under Gallagher's from 82 to 2005. But they were our cattle at that point. And um, we had started, well, we had the first bull sale um, uh, any breeder in the northeast um it's been i think it's 25 or six years now um so we started when we were at gallagher's with our bull sale because back then we would sell a lot of cattle to the dakotas and to resell them out there so um but yeah and, and one time we'd sold us at a bull calves they went out and that was like in october november and um we had a neighbor buy one for twenty thousand in february and bring him back and not knowing it was one of ours so <laughs> that was what that was what kind of prompted me to say hey you know we got to try this we got people that are buying bulls and um everybody annie never said it but i think she thought it that i was a little goofy at that point um but it didn't take very many years before we had become pretty successful um, having a market for the bulls in the Northeast. And, you know, for this part of the world, we've sold a little over 100 bulls this year. Um, and for us, that's that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, I know in different parts of the world, not so much, but uh, for us, that's a lot. Talk a little about the the beef industry in New York. I think, you know, probably a lot of listeners here in New York and they think, you know, New York City and and don't maybe appreciate the agriculture that exists in New York and the cows that exist in New York. So let's talk a little bit about uh, agriculture and who who is your customer base, uh, specifically your commercial cost, customer base in New York? Yeah, we have um, we have uh, a great customer base. Um, we our herd size is not as small as what people think in New York, especially when you get um, you know, the Adirondacks, that park is huge. It's one of the biggest national parks in the United States. Um, so people also don't realize the number one industry in New York is agriculture. Um, well, I, I have to take that back. You have to get out of the, the stock market. The yeah. stock market would be the number one industry in the world. So, um, But once you get past that, agriculture is number one in New York. Um, we have um, an unbelievable following for quality genetics in the commercial side. Um, this year, I said we've we've sold just a little over 100 bulls in New York, and um, only two of them went to registered breeders. Um, so um, that's been that's been a, a big deal for us, and and it gets stronger all the time. We uh, you know, I think that what a lot of people don't realize is how many 
how much ground is up here. Um, we have, we're farming a total of probably, I'm going to guess 12 or 1300 acres here. Um, and um, we, own, we only own 77. Um, it is, uh, we have a lot of second homeowners right here. And honestly, the majority of it, I'm bragging here just a little bit. We do a really good job at taking care of the land. We are very, very good at conservation. We keep everything clean and neat. I mean, you know, like our cornfields, we'll mow along the edge of the road, and uh, which no one else does around here. Other parts of the U.S., they do it. But, you know, most of, most of our landowners are second homeowners from New York City. And when they come up on Thursday or Friday, they, they don't want to worry about anything. So we don't we try not to mow hay around their house and on weekends we try to get it done during the week. Um, and we're we're very particular. Most of all the farms that we lease have two driveways and we only have one employee. So the three of us know that you don't drive in the owner's driveway. You go in even if you gotta go a little ways out of the way. Um, some unique things that we do is uh, we have every year we try to have a hamburger hot dog roast. Um, the girls all argue with me because I just want to have hamburgers and hot dogs. They talked me into potato chips, which <laughs> I didn't really want to do. I, I um, think the story goes the first one you planned. I don't even know if you'd gotten Annie involved. Is that right? Uh, no, we, we, yeah. Thank, you invited neighbors to your house without telling Annie. Yeah. yeah thanks. Thanks, Miranda. <laughs> I didn't really need your help today. I was going to skip that story again. Yeah. We, we did it just like the week before Christmas. And I knew that if I got her involved, we'd have to have macaroni salad, potato salad, soup, you know, all that kind of stuff. And nope, we didn't. She came home from work and she's like, what are all these people doing here? I said, hey, they come for a hot dog. So we, we make our own hot dogs and our own burgers, and that's what everybody gets to eat. And it really works well because if they want one, they have to either see PJ or I at the grill because we don't serve them any place but there. But it's been an awesome experience. We've had got to meet people we never knew lived there, first of all. Um, but it's little things like that that uh, – I think makes us unique and which helps us. We, we actually have, um, and PJ does all of this. I wish he was here and hopefully he shows up soon, but he has 21 landowners that he deals with. Wow. So, you know, and that's all contracts and all of the ag assessment, all that stuff. And he does that totally. So, um, but uh, 21 it, that's a lot of people to keep happy a lot and, of relationships <laughs> yeah and he's done he's done a great job we uh it's just it it kind of um surprises me it doesn't surprise me but i have to think pretty hard when i uh see that he doesn't get in trouble because people like him um he's you know he's just that kind of guy that uh when he he shakes your hand, tells you something, that's the way it's going to be. And, and they never look back. And it's, I think it's very refreshing for our New York City folks 
to run across a young man that just says, yep, this is what we're going to do. And it happens, you know, um, so that's that's the way it goes. Um, but yeah, and then we have our daughter, Amy, who has two kids also. Um, she has Tucker and Taylor. Taylor's our granddaughter and Tucker's the grandson. And um, Tucker has really kind of screwed up my life because my wife has become a hockey aficionado. And <laughs> she, she will now drive to, I don't think she's made it to Nebraska or Missouri yet, but she, she'll she drive there if he's playing hockey there tomorrow, I guarantee you. So uh, <laughs> she tries to, uh, she, she tries to see all the hockey matches and Taylor just started in the volleyball. They were both at the county fair for a while. And um, grandma was, uh, she retired last June. So now she's only down to working 40 or 50 hours a week at the hospital. Um, you know, she's supposed to just be picking up these odd shifts. The odd shifts are like from 11 at night till three the next afternoon. Or you've done that once, by the way. She, she started to deny it, and then she thought, eh, better not. So, um, but she, she, it's cool because she loves it. She's great with people, and she does a wonderful job nursing, and, um, and she likes it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were on our back porch, and her and Miranda had a couple of glasses of uh, Cabernet, and they started telling the truth, which got a little scary. Um, but my wife told me that, she, she actually got a cut and pay to go back to work all these strange hours. Um, but it's, it's honestly, it's, uh, it's very rewarding because she really just enjoys it. And um, she's a great patient advocate. And she really, um, she's the mother hen that herds all those nurses around. And that's what kind of has kept our family in tow after all these years is that, uh, she was um, she was able to keep track of all of us. So, um, you guys have service service runs very deep in your in your family and in your pedigrees. That's obvious, Phil. P, P, so, PJ, today you mentioned you hope he'll be back. He's out. Is see volunteer volunteer fireman or or what else um, does PJ he do? Actually, uh, PJ is. Um, <laughs> He's he's whacked. He's, he's just, you know he, he actually. Um, let me just tell you, we've got a twelve or thirteen hundred acre farm. We run three hundred cows. Um, he runs a tow truck. That when people, you know, like ten minutes before we were supposed to get on the call, the police called him and said, "Hey, you know, I got a wreck here." So he takes off, and he knows he can. You know, we're very lucky at, at this farm where. You know, he's gone for maybe 20, 30 minutes, and it's a second income that is significant, sure. you know. And he also um, he also um, drives tractor trailer for a little local food service company. Um, he'll drive doubles. Um, like he likes to leave like 10 o'clock at night, get to him 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, and uh, he... He custom farms for a couple of guys and helps. Yeah. PJ's, he has four kids. I'm not sure how. Um, <laughs> I just wasn't sure. Um, 
how that was all going to happen, but it did. Um, because he's not, you know, he, and he is a true, uh, he said something years ago when you guys, when you guys interviewed him one time that uh, kind of stuck with me for a long time, you know, he said in the interview that, uh, you know, he says, I really like working with my dad most of the time. And uh, I thought, yeah, that's probably right. And uh, he, he also said, you know, he said, I want my kids to grow up with this work ethic. And he said, you know, I really don't mind working 80 to 90 hours a week because I love what I'm doing. And it's it's been so true that uh, he still, I, I, he'll work 80 hours a week every week. Mm-hmm. You know, but he he does all this stuff on the side, you know, and he uh, and they put a big power line through here two years ago and they found out that PJ could do anything. So they would hire him to move their equipment and they uh, they were paying him X. And the head guy came to me one day and said, hey, he needs to charge two X. I was like, why is that? He says. Because, you know, normally we have to pay an operator to go load the excavator, and then we got to pay an operator to unload the excavator. So, anyways, that's – so So they, they started paying them 2X, um, which yeah. was kind of cool. Um, but, you know, the the cool part about our family is I think – and PJ and his girls are the same. They're chameleons. I mean, he can go from breeding cows to calving cows to nursing babies, to running a tow truck, you know, getting people out of a jam, um, you know, and it's uh, it's kind of cool to watch him do all that. Um, so that's that's a big part. Did you ever think that in that part of the world where I suppose you're a little bit landlocked with with the neighbors around that you'd be able to grow your farm to a point where it would be able to have your family come back and join you in the operation? We're going to hold that thought for just a moment while we thank Westway Feeds for sponsoring today's episode. 24-7, 365, all day, every day. Ranching never stops and your cowherd's nutrition shouldn't stop either. Westway Feed Products produces molasses-based liquid feed supplements for your cowherd. This liquid feed adds protein, energy, vitamins, and minerals to complement your standing forages, hay, or mixed rations. By increasing forage digestibility, Westway's liquid supplements support fetal programming, increase cow pregnancy rates, and overall herd performance. To learn more about Westway's liquid feed supplements, 24-7, 365 nutrition concepts, or to locate a dealer, visit www.westwayfeed.com or give us a call at 800-800-7517. It is very unique in this area. We are, I think. Um, because, like I said, we only own 77 acres, and um, it gets, you know, there's days it gets a little nervous because, you know, at any point, um, these guys can wake up tomorrow morning and say, hey, you know, I only lost 10 or 12 million, just get rid of that, you know, and and that's, that's factual. I mean, we've watched it where, um, and Mr. Brody that owned Gallagher's, um, you know, he was the one that told me that 40 years ago. He said, you know, he says, I'm in a position that, you know, if I decided tomorrow morning 
just get rid of all the cows, take them to the stockyards. He said, it's not going to bother me. But he says, I will put you out of business. He says, which is was one of his big concerns, you know, and uh, and we still see that today. But it's uh, it's a good uh, it's a really good good area to be in. We've we've established ourselves here, and um, you know, hopefully, we can just keep doing what we're doing. Did you was there ever a point you considered moving west or moving into places where land was more affordable and cow calf operation yeah, was easier um, to run? Previous to about 1990, when my kids got older, um, but now families here, yeah. you know, it, 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 it's, um, it's, a, it's sure tougher. There's no question. Um, but uh, I think that we've all um, evolved enough that, you know, I don't, I don't, I want the kids to be able to do it uh, too. So that, that makes it a little more challenging because if they do want to, if our grandkids do want to do something, I hope we can hope we can do that. Yeah. One thing I think I've noticed you guys have been good about doing is also helping your customers kind of create a market. And in that part of the world, it's probably more important than ever. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we we actually that's a big part of our marketing plan is um, we we have customers sell in our annual production sale. Um, it's a lot of work. Um, and sometimes you wonder whether it's worth it, but when you get all done, it really is. You know, the people, they, they, the 99% of them actually come back and are, are thankful for us helping them. And then we'll have, um, two or three feeder calf sales in the fall. Um, that, that, that has been a big hit, um, for us and, um, uh, a, a short story about that, how I knew it really worked was about 12, 15 years ago, our, one of our first feeder sales, um, I had one of our better bull customers standing up in the corner watching. We They would sell a bunch of calves before ours, then they'd sell ours, and then they'd go back to selling their regular sale. Well, this guy's still standing up there after we finished our calves, and I went over to him and I said, hey, John, I said, how'd your calves sell? Well, I don't know. They haven't sold yet. And I about had a stroke because we had been two, three sets of calves out of our calves and the market had dropped about 30 cents. And I'm thinking, oh, I go over to the guy that owned the sale barn. I said, Ronnie, I said, we, we missed John's calves. Oh, hell, he says, he jumps up, you know, he finds them, they run them up. And I, I don't remember the numbers, but these calves are before ours, uh, and after ours, we're bringing the buck 30, buck 40, and our calves have brought a buck 60, buck 65. And they run that set of calves in, and we go from a dollar 30 to back to a buck 65. And it got everybody's attention in the sale barn, all the buyers, all the sellers, and it got my attention. It just proved that uh, one, the genetics helps, and two, I think that, you know, our marketing helps. So that's part of it. Phil, Phil, where do those cattle go? For those again not maybe as familiar with the Eastern Corn Belt and and where those cattle go to Pennsylvania, are they fed in New York? End up out in Maryland? What's that look like? Well, it used to be they went to Pennsylvania, um, mm -hmm. a lot of them. But now, I'll be frank. I think eighty or ninety percent of our cattle are fed in New York. 
um, out in that out in that Finger Lakes, Western New York area where there is more corn and more feed. We have a big Mennonite population that feeds cattle. Um, and, um, you know, 15 years ago, I'd have told you they all went to Pennsylvania, but I'll bet there's not 20% that goes to Pennsylvania. And I will say that um, we have a ton of little feeders that want to buy 30, 40, 50 at, at a whack. And um, they've, and we found those guys now, um, those guys now really want to see quality. Quality is number one. And um, several years ago, we started doing some educational components around the state for our customers. And it, and it's funny we're having this conversation because I, an hour ago, a guy up, way up north on the Canadian border um, texted me and said, hey, when are you going to do another meeting up here? Um, and they've been extremely successful. And, you know, we've talked about everything from nutrition to EPDs and, you know, all the way through. And you were asking about the customer service. And I think that's, uh, that's a big part of it. That's, uh, and it, and it has paid off. It's, it's paid off. As maybe PJ looks down the road, what, what's that country going to look like 10 to 20 years? Um, you know, um, is are we going to continue to see more urban sprawl out in that country, or do you think there's going to be plenty of opportunities to to carve out a cow calf business? It's you know, it's kind of a double edged sword. We talk about it all the time because land values. If you had if you had to buy this land to run a cow calf operation, it should all be one to two acre lots and a million little houses. But we're we're very fortunate we're close to the financial center of the world. And we have people that come up here and they want to buy a farm, two, three, four, 500 acres. And nine times out of 10, once they talk to PJ, um, they just say, hey, you can just use our farm. We don't pay rent, but they want it to look a certain way. And they know, you know, we, we've, we've, been very successful with that um so down the road uh i'll be honest i think we're probably going to see more of that in this area and because most of the people that own the big parcels of land are conservators or hoarders whatever you want to call them um, but uh and they've watched yellowstone now and they want to own cows and horses <laughs> there's you know that's not so far fetched. That is not so far fetched. It's uh, it's pretty wild to watch the the dreaming part of that. But uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot more cowboy hats in Ghent than there ever was before. So yeah. Now you guys in your proximity, you mentioned how close you are there to the financial capital of the world, but you've also been very close for certified Angus beef to bring guests out for NCBA to bring folks out. You've You've had quite a lot of interaction outside of even your base of, of folks that you lease from to have some consumer interaction. Yeah, we're um, we're we're pretty big on education. Um, it's something that is is very important to us, and um, we actually just had our hundred and fortieth intern leave. Um, 
she was our 140th just left and um so we're we're big on that and you know i think we we like you say we work with ncba cab the new york beef producers you know we'll we'll have we'll have two or three meetings here a year and we're lucky enough to have a a reasonable facility um to do it it's not fancy but um it works really well we use our sale barn and uh, you know we've had we've had plenty of uh, steaks cooked on the lawn down there so um but it is it is i remember when uh i think it was in the beef industry council brought 10 or 15 of the big upper newspapers like the new york times time magazine usa today brought all those cooks out and um this one woman from the new york times you know i'm saying she's in her late 50s um 60 maybe and um she says well what do you do with these cattle after today and i didn't really understand the question but she was like they're on grass and i'm like yeah took me a minute to think that she thought we planted them there for the day and then we took them back to feedlots like i said this is a lady that graduated from harvard 60 years old and didn't have a clue yeah. you know worked for the new york times um and so that paid off big for me because i know by the time she left she had a total different view of what we were doing and um that and part of the education process, what pushes Annie and I and PJ and Miranda is that we really do want to be able to continue doing this. And I don't think if we, I don't think if we weren't educating people, we we could get in trouble pretty quick. So well, and I think the uh, and honestly, Phil, the the industry owes you a thank you because not everybody can can bring a group of, of, I think we've taken a group of dietitians out to your place. I think uh, whether it's uh, folks from the New York Times, um, uh, you know, whoever those influencers, I guess is the word we call them now are that, you know, you can literally have them there within an hour, an hour and a half if they live in, are you, how, I forget now, you're about we're, an hour and a half? We're 90 miles from New York City. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, so it's, yeah. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody's well. Not everybody can do it. Not everybody's willing to open their the, their their gates and spend a day um, and uh, hosting. But you you've done a lot of that, and we we appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I think you've also done some bringing the farm to the city as well. <laughs> Are you thinking back did, to did a, a bull? Really... Did a bull get to make a trip to a hotel or something? Yeah, the bull story. <laughs> Well, we got we got two bull stories. I'll first tell you the CAB story. Certified Angus B was we would take we had this bull called Charlie Pride, and he was just a big house pet. And we would take him, we took him to the polo fields in Saratoga. And there was a grand opening just outside of Boston at a uh, shopper, no, um, price chopper, price chopper. So, yeah, so. We take the bull over there, and we always put up a little pen, you know, 12 by 12 pen. People want to guess the weight, pet the bull, you know, whatever. So we're getting all done, and my truck is parked maybe 100 yards from where the bull was. So, and he knows when he when he hears the trailer, 
he's getting on because he's going to a fresh pasture. <laughs> so me not thinking anything of it, I get in, start the truck up. I start to back up. Here, we're in Boston. And I look in my mirror, and this sucker had picked the pen up, went under it, and he's walking up the parking lot in Boston. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that ain't good. Not good, not good, not good. <laughs> so I jump out. I throw the tailgate open on the trailer, and he just wanders over and gets on. And everybody's <laughs> clapping, you know, and I'm about ready to puke, have a heart attack, you know. But, yeah, he just walked over, got on the trailer. And I thought, holy cow. You know, thank goodness it was that. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. There's probably a 50-50 shot that story could have ended up in a bad story category, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my. Th thank goodness it was that bull. If it would have yeah. been another bull, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, no, it was good. So we've we've had a few of those interesting stories. And so. you said two bull stories. That was only one. I'm I trying to think the other what, one. what the other one was. <laughs> I, I, got, I got to think about it. There was a second one. Now I forgot. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. So the, New York, the, New York, the New York City one. Have you heard that one? No, I don't think New so. York, New York City. Okay. So this is when I was working for Gallagher. So this was like 78. Anyways, so the Brodies were hosting Myas Didius Gravis. Myasthenius graphis, whatever the a disease was, they were sponsoring a thing in Madison Square Garden. So, anyways, we're parked in front of Madison Square Garden, and we got a big bowl on there that you know we had shown, and <clears throat> so we're we're fluffing them up, you know, getting ready to take them in. And this little kid comes around, looks in the trailer, and he says, "Hey, what you got there?" I said, "I said, oh, it's a black baby elephant," and he's like. Looks at me, and I'm like, and Mallory Mort, that was working with me at that point, grabs the bull's tail, says, here's his trunk. This kid takes off. I mean, gone like somebody shot him. And uh, I'm like, man, you scared the hell out of him. What did you do? You know, and yeah, I was just kidding, you know. And about five minutes later, you hear this kid coming back, and he's dropping the F-bomb about every two steps. You, uh, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. He's got about 30 kids with him. And they come around and he says, you got to see this black hairy elephant. You got to see this black hairy elephant. So we're taking the bull into Madison Square Garden with his halter on, leading him. And this little kid is, see, there's his trunk. There's his trunk. You can see it right there. So, yeah, so we had a black hairy elephant for uh, for about 20 minutes in Madison Square Garden. But, uh, yeah, that was... And we wonder post. why we have confused consumers out there. We can blame <laughs> yeah. you for some of this. Yeah, yeah no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> so, Phil, you talk about bulls, and, and I know there'll be a lot of listeners that are Angus historians, and you've, you've owned a bull or two. Um, do you have a couple favorites in your, in your Angus... Uh, in your Angus history of bulls that you've had a part of or um, helped promote or some of your favorites? I, I, I've i had some financial favorites that were, <laughs> at the time, and they really worked out good. I mean, seriously, you go back years and years. I mean, our favorite was because we bought them on our honeymoon was Patriot. Um, and that was for Mr. Brody. But since then, you know, we've, we've owned... At one point, two years ago, I think we had 87 bulls in bull studs, um, small interests, you know. Um, 
and there's there's you know because of my age i went through from showing some of those elephants you know we uh i mean shocker waldeck shocker i mean he was he was an elephant but very successful for us as as a young couple um he was uh he was a generation financial tool for us you know and uh, um I know what I use them today, not, not a chance, not a chance. Um, but yeah. And, you know, I mean, today we, we've owned uh, a ton of bulls with Chad Ellingson and, you know, the Shoffs and, you know, Deer Valley. I mean, growth fund is being a generational sire, I think right now for us, um, you know, the bulls done an awful lot of things correctly for us. Uh, but we have, you know, it, it's it's funny you ask that question because, you know, I, I never really thought of it. But you go back to, you know, a bull like New Yorker, Cowboy Pond, New Yorker that we own part of. I mean, you know, he was a freak, but we didn't think so at the time. Right. You know, I mean, that's how times have changed, I guess. Hmm. So, but anyways. Well, we can... We can probably ask a whole lot more questions about maybe that's going to you're going to have to come back and do another podcast at some point, uh, Phil, because we really haven't gotten into genetic philosophy and all that sort of thing. But uh, no, I mean, I, I'm we're, we love it. And and I apologize, PJ couldn't be here. But um, I, I do think, you know, it's an important part of the podcast that, um, you know, people need to realize that he has to generate a second income here. And um you know, and and this kind of just tied into where he was, you know, had to go do that. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, he couldn't be here because he's uh, he's a really sharp-witted, very intelligent young person. So um, yeah. I think you would have enjoyed that. Well, well, we'll just have to do another one. I had, I would be curious as you as you got, and I know there'd be lots of you know, some multi-generational listeners to the podcast around decision-making. I'm always curious, um, as you have multiple generations, how do you make decisions of what goes into the donor pin? What, what genetics you're using? Do you have a little board meeting? Are you the, are you the, 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 uh, the, the dictator as it relates to uh, all of those decisions or how's it work? Uh, I'll tell you, uh, you know, PJ and I get along better than, 99.9% of the fathers and sons. Um, I'm bragging, but it's the truth. Um, he and I talk every morning. Uh, every morning, you know, my favorite question, they get sick of hearing it. I said, what What do we got to do today? And, you know, we'll, we'll map it out. And when it comes to matings and cows that we flush, I mean, we think so much alike that it's a little scary. So it... Uh, it's really easy. Um, I can honestly say in the last 20 years, him, he and I have had one major conflict. Mm-hmm. And um, we were sorting cows. I was going to take pictures and he was chopping hay. And I had the clipboard. He had his coffee. And we were sorting these cows so I could take pictures. And this cow walks right between us, walks right out the gate. And I threw my clipboard and I used a few explosives. And uh, and he looked at me and he says, he threw back the F-bomb at me a couple of times, threw his coffee, hit the cow. I threw my clipboard. And then we looked at each other and we were like, 
man, that was stupid. We got to get the cow back, you know, and that honestly, the and now you don't have coffee. I mean, no, he didn't have a coffee. My <laughs> clipboard was covered in cow poop and, uh, and, you know, literally lasted maybe 20 seconds. Yeah. And that was, that was our, and I think you could ask him and he would tell you the same. That was our one major conflict. And then both of us thought how stupid that was, that what we did. And um, we got over it. Yeah. Well, that speaks speaks to the bonds in your family. Yeah. The number of family conflicts that start with we were getting ready to take pictures, um, oh. <laughs> or we were in the picture pen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, it. Yeah, the worst day of the year. The girls say it's true, yeah. um, but I will <laughs> say this year, um, I had kind of bummed up my leg a little bit, and. PJ took over the picture pen and um, we did 32 cows in four hours. So I'm not going back to the picture pen. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. Are you saying he's better with the neighbors and he's better with the cows? <laughs> yes. Well, and, and you know, I bred, I bred cows for 30 years. I haven't bred a cow in 15 years. Hmm. He makes me look a little foolish. Um, and, you know, and I am bragging, and I and I I want it to sound like I'm bragging, um, because the people that tell me the next generation can't do it, just as I tell a lot of them, I said you're hanging out with the wrong kids, hmm. because the next generation is so far advanced over us that it's not even funny. It's uh, and I I see him, you know what he can do. It's made our life a lot easier. See. You got the two-year-old. Violet. I love That's it. That's Violet. <laughs> she, uh, she, Miranda drives school bus. So in the morning, the youngest girls get to go with us. Well, Violet can run the skid loader now because she knows how <laughs> to ride with daddy in the tractor and the skid loader all the time. But um, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I, uh, again, I apologize that PJ couldn't be here, but we'll have to have you guys on again sometime because I think it would be fun to hear, hear yeah, his side and, of the story also. Yeah, yeah. So we always end our our podcast on a random question of the week, and so today's random question: I want to know. I understand that you have had a lot of animals in your barn there. You've you've kind of supported <laughs> kids along. You help some FFA kids along if they need a place and they're showing. I want yeah. to know your least favorite animal to have in the show barn. Goat. <laughs> a goat. <laughs> the kids the kids wanted these goats, so three or four years ago. And and you know, grandpa's not one that likes this. I don't care if it's a horse, a goat, a pig, chicken, whatever. I do not like to stand second. Whether it's right or wrong, that's just <laughs> the way it is. So we had some darn good boar goats. And um, I would be sitting in the office, which is in the second story of our barn. And I could be talking on the phone like this. And I would lean back in my chair where it would just go past the window. And I would hear, bah, bah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd sit forward and they'd go away. And then, you know, you'd forget about it. Two or three hours later, you'd lean back and these goats would start screaming again, you know. And thank God the kids didn't like them either. So it was one year, one year. 
Because yeah. if the kids did like them, they'd still be there. Uh, yes, you're right. You're <laughs> right. I would I would have had to just put a shade up in my uh, in my office so they couldn't see me lean back. So, yeah, <laughs> but uh, good. I love That's it. That's awesome. Well, Phil, we we just appreciate you joining us, and and Annie and and uh, Daisy, and we'll we'll come back again when we can get PJ. Uh, you've got you know yep. you talk about bragging on your family. You're you're not you're not bragging on your family. You got an awesome family. I know I know you well, and I know how incredibly proud you are of your family, and you love talking about them. That is uh, that's so cool to see, and and it's cool to see. Uh, how uh, how Grandpa Phil uh, hangs with the with the kids and and all of what they're doing and and uh, it's just uh, uh, we uh, we enjoyed getting a little glimpse of of that here today on the podcast and appreciate Good. all you do for the Angus breed and your 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 leadership in the past and I know still in the, what will be in the future so thanks for joining us all right thanks you guys and thank you for joining us today it's always fun for me to learn about raising Angus cattle in a different part of the world. So we'll go ahead and link some additional coverage to Trowbridge Angus Farms in the show notes, along with an additional story you may want to check out. Megan Silvera visited Rosetta Angus Farms in Maryland and also provides a perspective of ranching right alongside urban counterparts. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends. Word of mouth or on social media, help other Angus breeders find this space created just for them. And as always, you can find all the latest news in the Angus breed at angusjournal.net. This has been the Angus Conversation, an Angus Journal podcast.